I don't know if you have found this to be true in your study of God's Word, but the more I dig into what God says, and especially regarding the beauty of His creation, I am continually blown away, amazed, and touched by both the wisdom and the love that God built into His design of our lives and the world in which He places us. The one specific area of this design that I want to refer to today and that relates to our lesson has to do with God's design for our communication. Uh, especially in this day and age when we consider how much of a struggle it is for sinful human beings to communicate with each other, I thought I would just do a little bit of digging in uh, and, and figure out what might possibly be the problem. Uh, the first fact I came across is the reality that as we speak, the range of words per minute that we typically use, the high end is about 170 if you're a fast talker, uh, and the low end is about 110. Of course, there's exception to those rules, especially if I have a longer sermon, I still want to get you out on time. I can really talk fast if I want to. Well, that kind of led me to think, if that's how many words a minute that we're speaking is our communication issue with how many words we can hear per minute. Interestingly enough, God's design actually has created us where we can hear, listen to, somewhere between 450 to 600 words a minute, which tells me the problem is not with the design. The problem is with what sin has done to that design. Truth of the matter is, is that oftentimes people simply do not understand this fine art of listening. If you think about a lot of the problems and struggles that are going on today, it's simply because people are talking past each other. They fail to communicate with each other. Problem is, is most people don't want to listen. Or when somebody says something, and I know this is a problem I've had to work through in my own life, uh, my marriage, my ministry, is I can't just hear the first sentence somebody says and start to think about my answer. I have to listen to the whole thing. That helps communication. There might be some other explanations that do go to the design. And the fact is, is that when women listen, when females listen, they engage both sides of their brain. Whereas when men listen, we only engage one side of our brain. So while you think your husband's purposely not listening to you, the truth of the matter is, is that God designs males to listen differently than females. In the beginning, it was a beautiful compliment to each other. Well, you see what sin has done to that. Another reality that, uh, and this is one I, I had known a long time ago and it went into gearing how we present uh, the lessons of God's word. Uh, when you actually just hear somebody speaking, you retain about 10% of that. If you can read along or have some text that goes with it as somebody speaking, it takes it up to about 20%, about one-fifth of what somebody says. If you add visuals to what somebody is saying, that jumps to about an 80% retention rate, and thus the more visual um, lessons and studies of God's Word. It's just the way that God designed us. The truth of the matter is, is that God's Word is the exception to the rule. It has its own intrins intrinsic or natural power, but most human speech is hampered by the reality that we simply don't want to listen. Now, I'm going to throw a hard fact at you. Truth of the matter is that throughout the history of the world, oftentimes it's been God's own children that are some of the poorest listeners. If you think about Christian families that you know, and maybe it's true of your own household, a lot of times we're really not listening to each other. God forbid that we should acknowledge that the church itself, the visible church, oftentimes struggles in serving the people that we're called to simply because we refuse to listen. And I don't know if you've ever been part of a ministry or of a spiritual relationship where somebody always thought they knew better than you what you needed. Problem is, is oftentimes they're not listening. And if we really want to be honest with ourselves, the real problem gets down to our sinful hearts. We ourselves a lot of times struggle to listen to what God's word has to say.
The question that intrigues me is, is there something that we can do about this? Is there something as God's children that we can do to sharpen our listening skills? To, if you will, if, uh, if I could put it in these terms, reignite this fine art of listening. I'm sure you have some of your own thoughts. Maybe we should consider some of our own. The truth is, is that when we stop listening to God, we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And today's lesson is going to focus primarily on that. So I'd like you very carefully now to listen to what God has to say. Let's be honest. Life has this way of leaving us tired and worn out, burned out from the demands of each day, not just physically, not just mentally, but in our souls. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. But most days don't feel very fulfilling. They're exhausting. It may feel elusive, but this life to the full Jesus talks about, it's real. But not at the pace we live and not without an intimate connection to Jesus. So what if there was a better way? What if you slowed down for just 20 minutes a day and let your soul catch up to your body? What if you took a real rest and learned to listen to God, allowing Him to speak to the deepest part of your soul? We believe it would change your life. It's in the quiet spaces that Jesus refreshes our souls and it's through the whisper of his voice that he begins to transform us into who he designed us to be, whole and free. Experience Jesus by learning to listen to his voice. Don't wait, don't settle for something less than. Chase after all that Jesus promises. Life to the full, a life lived free and light. That's one technique I think we can do to improve our listening skills is actually set aside some quiet time. That doesn't just mean reading your Bibles or a Bible study. There's a various amount of ways in which we can get closer to God and, if you will, be more in tune to what he has to say. Now, before we actually take a look at today's lesson and do that, listen to what it has to say, I have to give you a little bit of background. And the first starts with what this Sunday of the church year is, first Sunday of a brand new church year. The church calendar doesn't match the physical calendar, or if you will, January 1 is how most of us mark the passing of our lives. The church fathers set it up differently. And they decided to start the church year with the season of Advent. The word Advent comes from a Latin adwenio, meaning to come. And it is a focus and reflection on the three different comings of Jesus into our lives. One that most people know is obvious enough, Christmas. The second one that is often overlooked and quite honestly is critical to both of the other two is when Jesus came to Jerusalem to suffer and then die for all of our sins. And then the third one, of course, is before Jesus ascended into heaven, he made the promise that he would come again, judge this world, and take us to heaven. That will be the primary focus of this Advent season. We haven't really touched on that in some time, but I would like to encourage you, and let me say this as clearly as I can, you really can't study one of these Advents without considering the other two of those Advents. And so hopefully we can set that scene and start to listen according to that way this morning. Now, this will be the section that we're going to take a look at. 
And while I can read these words for you, and they do contain their own powers, hopefully encouraging you to listen, sometimes what we see or what we hear uh, has a, a deeper meaning to it, if you will, and that's going to be our task this morning, uh, to not only encourage us to look forward to the second coming of Christ, but to really appreciate everything that God does to both plan and promise the completion of our Lord's advent. And so Isaiah writes, listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Tell, the law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait and hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. All right, most of us are probably familiar with Isaiah the prophet. Of all the Old Testament prophets, he's probably the most famous. But it would be good for us to take just a few moments to re-familiarize ourselves with him. He was called primarily to speak to the southern kingdom of Judah. When he began his ministry, the northern kingdom of Israel still existed. By the time his ministry ended, Israel had been uh, uh, defeated by the Assyrians and many of them carried off. And so much of what Isaiah speaks to to the southern kingdom, they saw actually happen to the northern kingdom of Israel. In uh, the beginning, he actually lists out the four different Judean kings under whom he served, and that helps us to understand the context. Two of them were pretty good kings, Jotham and Hezekiah. Uzziah, and then I've already introduced you to Ahaz, those two were rascals. They had no good qualities about them whatsoever. And that kind of set the scene for this entire message. It is possible that Isaiah had one of the longest ministries of all of the Old Testament prophets. That's the time span of those kings' rule in the country of Judea, and it covers 50 years. And then finally, for your own home study, or if you want to listen a little bit more, to what God says about Isaiah, you can read about it in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Those are pretty good uh, summaries of his time as God's messenger uh, to God's people of the nation of Judah. Now, most of us will associate Isaiah and his prophecies with the first advent of Jesus. You heard the gospel lesson, and I hope it was helpful to you to actually put that uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 14, back into its context. Because usually at Christmas time, we will not only hear that one, but probably some of these other Christmas or first advent prophecies. But we dare not divorce them of their context, and uh, it helps us to understand just how much trouble God's own people had in listening to what Isaiah the prophet said. And while there are these comforting words of the coming of the Savior, of Messiah, in the second chapter of Isaiah, he explains the cultural context to the people to whom he's speaking. It was one of those eras in the history of Judah where they were quite prosperous. Uh, uh, they were doing quite well. Uh, they lived in relative peace, and they were pretty rich. But that also led them to pretty much give up their faith. They thought they didn't need God anymore. They had everything they needed, so they stopped listening. They stopped worshiping the true God. And as a result of that, a good deal of Isaiah's ministry was to prophesy about the coming judgment. Probably the best way for me to help you understand the culture in which Isaiah was sent to speak to his people would be to compare it with today. 
I can't think of a country that has existed in the history of this world that has been more blessed by God, and yet you probably are well aware of how few people in this day and age actually want to hear what God has to say both about our lives and about our eternities. Now, that shouldn't dissuade us from still wanting to share the love and hope of Christ, but you recognize that we now exist in a culture where being a Christian is more challenging than it once was, and that if you really just look around, you can recognize the signs of a people who no longer hear what God has to say. It's in that context that God sends Isaiah to the people of the kingdom of Judah. There is also this principle of prophecy that we need to, if you will, just quickly review so that we understand how Isaiah is speaking. The best illustration I've ever come across is this a prophetic uh, principle is like driving towards a mountain range. From a distance, all of the mountains look very close to each other, but the nearer you get to that mountain range, all of a sudden it becomes obvious to you that they're quite far apart. That's important because that's how the prophecy of Isaiah works. He actually speaks not of one but two judgments. The closer mountain for Isaiah is the upcoming judgment against the kingdom of Judah that would take place at the hands of the Babylonians. But this becomes an illustration and, if you will, an educational tool that Isaiah uses to teach his people and then ultimately to teach us uh, to see this picture about the final coming of Christ and the final judgment of this world. Now, with all of that as the backdrop, we can better understand this first mountain. Isaiah was sent to warn his people because of their cold attitude towards God, because of the fact that they had put their fingers in their ears and quit listening to God, because of their hard hearts. God says, I'm going to use the Babylonian Empire, which became the world power at that time, to judge you. And in a sense, if you will, to force you to change. Now, it was at the tail end of Isaiah's ministry where these events started to begin. It's the captivity that started in 586. Uh, it was 610 that some of the first people were carried off into that captivity and then ultimately led to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and to the temple in Jerusalem. Isaiah, fortunately, was spared from having to see some of those most terrible sights. And that was picked up by other prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel. They give the more specific details concerning this judgment and concerning this captivity. Now, what we need to understand, and we should listen very carefully to this, that in this section, God is sending Isaiah to speak to not all of the people of Judah, but one select group. And I had already given you kind of a heads up. In our Old Testament lesson, they're identified as those who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. So while the majority of the nation of Judah no longer chose to listen to God, there were still a faithful remnant. There were still true believers in the nation of Judah. There were those people who looked forward to the coming of Messiah the first time and trusted in God's promise of salvation through God's own son. And he says, to them I am sending out this Torah. And normally that word is translated almost without exception as the law. And in fact, it's sometimes used as a reference to the first five books of the Bible or specifically to the words that God gave at Mount Sinai. That's how most people think. But the primary meaning of the word and the way it's used here in this context is that this is meant to be a word of instruction and a word of prophecy, which means that it's not only applicable for the people of Isaiah's time, but it's applicable for people of all time, including us. So there's something in these words that God would have us hear to help us as we contemplate not just his first coming, but his second coming. 
So you understand, there's something very specific about the way Isaiah writes and his ministry that I, I think we lose focus on. God is trying to bring comfort to his people. In fact, if you go back to chapter 40, that's how he starts out. Uh, Isaiah's talking about there's hard days ahead, but I want you to also look beyond those hard days to the end. I promise you that at the end of a specific amount of time, you're going to be set free from your captivity to the nation of Babylon. This becomes picturesque of God's overall plan of salvation. And these are the words that we need to hear. That living in a broken world with sinful lives, surrounded by sinful people, sometimes feels like living in captivity. Because let's be honest, in a way it is. This is not the life that God had planned for us. This is not the life that God designed for us. This is not what God created us to have to experience in this life. And so God says, I want you to look ahead beyond these hard days to a time when you will be released of this captivity. In fact, he speaks very specifically of the ministry of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, who would point to the first time that Christ came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah, and you know these words, spoke very picturesquely and specifically to the second advent of Jesus when he was nailed to the cross as the innocent Lamb of God who paid for the sins of this world. What most people overlook is the fact that God also uses Isaiah to speak to this third advent of our Savior. And then hopefully now you can understand and embrace the fact that when Isaiah speaks of one advent, in essence he really speaks of all of the advents of Messiah because one without the other means absolutely nothing. Now here's the thing that we really need to see in this lesson, and maybe you understand this. Oftentimes when God judges those who are evil, those who will not listen, those who refuse to hear the word of God, a lot of times the rest of us, those who seek the Lord, who would consider ourselves faithful, are carried along in that judgment. We suffer sometimes because of the evil that is around us. The first thing that we have to remember is that without the grace and love of God, Without the advents of our Savior, none of us would escape the wrathful judgment of God. Because as sinners, we've been separated from our Creator, and it's only because of His promise and the execution of His love in our lives that we actually escape that judgment. That said, God wants us to understand there is actually a good purpose why he allows his faithful, those who are willing to listen, those who want to hear what God has to say, there is a reason why he allows them to struggle and suffer when judgment comes to those who are evil. I know, and I felt that myself, and I'm guessing there are times that you felt, it just isn't fair. It just isn't right. It feels like God's scales of justice are imbalanced in our lives. Why do I have to suffer? Because my neighbor hates God. That's the very thing that Judah is feeling, those who are faithful and still looking forward to the advent of Jesus Christ. So what Isaiah does is starts to explain at least portions of God's plan of salvation. I told you that Isaiah introduces this message and some of the other prophets pick it up, primarily Daniel. What God wants the people at Isaiah's time to understand is the part they would play, that while, humanly speaking, this injustice would feel so wrong, the big picture is, from God's perspective, that his faithful he is using as the greater fulfilling of the plan of salvation. You think of Daniel reminding the people of Judah 
that the rise and fall of Babylon was just the first of many pre-planned events in the history of this world, which ultimately led to all of the details of the coming of our Savior. It wasn't an accident or coincidence that at the time of Jesus' birth, the Romans just so happened to be in charge, the world power, and just so happened to want to, if you will, have a census or a taxation that just so happened to take the family of our Savior down to the city of Bethlehem, which just so happened to fulfill the prophecies that a son of David would be born in the town of David. It's not coincidence. It's not accident. This is all part of God's plan of rescuing this world. And sometimes, even though it feels like God has forgotten about us, or this world couldn't get any more evil, God wants us to stop Take a deep breath, hear something more positive, his message of hope and of love, and recognize that God uses us even in his executing of judgment against the sin of this world. One example, oftentimes the Magi coming to Bethlehem to worship the Savior is just grouped in with the Christmas message. They would have never showed up if it hadn't been for this plan of God, the executive judgment against the evil in the uh, country of Judea, who then were carried off to the land of Babylon, Daniel in particular, particular, who himself was a magi, and guess how these people heard about the fact that God had made a promise of salvation. You see words like nations and islands. Those are cue words in Isaiah's prophecy here to talk about the Gentiles the non-Jewish people. And if nothing else, and maybe on your hardest days, it's good for us to just stop and go, I'm part of God's bigger plan. And he's using me to bring his message of hope and love to others. The very same message that has turned around my life, God is using me to bring to the lost and to the people who have not yet been taught how to listen to God's love. Which brings us here. I started by saying sometimes God's children are the ones that have the greatest difficulty hearing. And I, I think that's true, not just to each other, but even to God. And I know there's objections. Pastor, I read my Bible. Pastor, I'm in worship. Pastor, I do my Bible. So yes, those are all fantastic. But sometimes that powerful word of God only makes it to our ears. And it needs to filter into our hearts. Because let's be honest, if you look around right now, if you listen to news, Maybe I should recommend that we're going to be better listeners if we stop listening to the noise of this world. What we need to hear is that God is still speaking his message of love and hope. What I don't want you to miss this morning, and what I think it's important that we understand how God is using Isaiah and all of these things for our good, is that he wants us to study about that first coming and the advent of coming to Jerusalem to die for our sins to get us ready for the final coming. I've uh, probably noted more lately how many people, how many Christians have come to me and said, you know what, I'm really worried. I'm really kind of scared. World events, wars, rumors of wars. Pastor, all these signs are being fulfilled. And and we're going to talk about that in other parts of our series. But, But when you hear folks talk about being worried about the end of the world, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait for that day to get here. Just look around. This isn't what God wanted for us. But the question becomes, as we struggle with contemporary events in the culture of the day and this world refusing to listen, what good can God be doing for this? 
we forget he's made us a promise. He says, I'm going to use everything for your eternal good. What I'd like you to do now is just take a step back, and no matter what you're dealing with in your life right now, I'd like you to consider the good that God is working out of it, and it might just be this. In nature, trees that grow up in a windy environment become stronger as winds whip around a young sapling. Forces inside the tree do two things. First, they stimulate the roots to grow faster and spread farther. Second, the forces in the tree start creating cell structures that actually make the trunk and branches thicker and more flexible to the pressure of the wind. These stronger roots and branches protect the tree from winds that are sure to return. My young friends, the world will not glide calmly toward the second coming of the Savior. The scriptures declare that all things shall be in commotion, more concerning than the prophesied earthquakes and wars are the spiritual whirlwinds that can uproot you from your spiritual foundations and land your spirit in places you never imagined possible, sometimes without your hardly noticing that you have been moved. The worst whirlwinds are the temptations of the adversary. Sin always has been and always will be a part of this world, but it has never been so accessible, insatiable, and acceptable. How do you prepare for your whirlwinds? Remember, it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that you must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, his shafts in the whirlwind, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power to drag you down because of the rock upon which ye are built. This is your safety in the whirlwind. Have you ever noticed how God is constantly getting us ready for what is yet to come? I, uh, and maybe this is a life lesson you've learned. I learned it the hard way with my own three sons. I would talk to them. I would tell them about things that were going to come up in their lives and what they should expect and, and how to fight against it. And doggone it, none of them would listen to me. First of all, I remembered, oh yeah, they're my sons and they're that stubborn. So I had to deal with that. But the reality is, is oftentimes the only way we can actually learn, the only way we can actually hear is if we go through it. So you understand what Judah is learning and what hopefully we benefit by listening to these words of Isaiah is God is preparing us for that second prophecy, for that second mountain. Hopefully we learn from Judea's own history with their own judgment to get us ready for the judgment of this world. Uh, because uh, we're not going to go through it in all of its detail, but the more you listen and the more you study about the final judgment, they're not going to be happy days for a lot of people. Uh, they're going to be frightening events. And God even says if, if he didn't choose a day to cut all of that short, even as faithful people, some of them would be lost. So God wants us to listen carefully to Isaiah's words about Judea's judgment so that we're well prepared for our own judgment. Uh, I'm just going to give you one example. Our, our final Advent lesson will be from Second Peter. And again, I, I don't want to get too caught up in all of the details because unfortunately sometimes people will do their end of the world research on the internet or only by going to the book of Revelation and it, it gets all out of skew. 
God doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to be firm. He doesn't want us to freak out about what we see going on around us. He wants us to run to him for our security and for our safety. But notice how Peter's words so closely match Isaiah's prophecy. Or you heard the gospel lesson of Luke at the end of Christ's ministry. Those words tell us that this earth will not last forever. It wasn't intended this way, but because of sin, judgment must now come, and God wants us ready for it. Rather than fear the prophecies, what this lesson is hopefully telling us to do is to listen again carefully to the promises, to that first promise. That God says, I am, I am always with you. I'm sending you a rescuer. He came and took on your flesh and blood. He paid for your sins, so you don't need to fear judgment. And most of all, he says, this judgment is eternal. And on that day, I'm going to change you. And I'm going to change this entire world. It won't be what you expect. And I'm going to take you home to heaven where you can finally, finally enjoy the existence, the design that I always had in in mind for you. On that day, it will be celebration, not fear. But the reality is, is oftentimes we let the noise of the world and our own hard-hearing hearts get in the way of all of these amazing promises and all of this Good news, even the good news that God has chosen us to tell others they can be rescued from this judgment. The anxiety and worry and, and, and whether or not you're fearful of the end of the world, there are a lot of day-to-day events that do cause us at least to stop, but probably are causing some anxiety and, and, and some frustration. You see, our hearts, our souls long for what this life should have been. Peace and harmony, not only with each other, but most of all with God. And every morning we wake up and it's, it's just not there. And so we long for something more. And God says through this prophet, I, I, I have that for you. I need you to be a bit patient. And in the meantime, I need you to listen carefully for the part that you will play. I promise you, I will use everything. Even if you don't see it, even if the worst tragedy in your life happens, I need you to trust me. I need you to stop for one moment and listen to God's track record of how perfectly he has kept every single promise. I need you to see how you're part of a bigger plan and that you can't let the devil isolate you and only see one day at a time or only see your part in this crazy mixed up world. You need to stop and listen carefully to what Isaiah says because it not only prepares us for the rest of this Advent study, but it prepares us for our Lord's final Advent. I've got one last message, and it's a a word of encouragement because I, I know it's a regular habit or routine for us to come here, study together, hopefully to listen, and uh, hopefully to retain at least some of what's said. But the truth of the matter is, and, and I said it before, sometimes it's God's people that struggle most of all to listen. And I'll be the first in that line. I, I can't even count the many times that even studying God's word, I was so hard of hearing. So let me remind you about the people who lived during Christ's second advent, when he came to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. They had the Son of God right in front of their eyes. They saw the miracles. They heard him teach. It is recorded that he taught like no other person because he was like no other person. And the sad truth is that here was life and hope right in front of them, and they simply would not listen. God forbid we make the same mistake. 
Instead, I hope we truly appreciate the fine art of listening. Is not he who formed the ear Worth the time it takes to hear? Should he who formed our lips for speaking Be not he dead when he speaks? Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken love to us. Why will you not listen? Listen to the sacred silence. Listen to the holy word. Listen as he speaks through living parables that must be heard. Parables that must be heard. Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken peace to us. Why will you not listen? Why will you not listen? He spoke a word of flesh and blood. Flesh and blood that bled and died. Bled and died just to be heard. How could you not hear this word? Why will you not hear this word? Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken hope to us. How could you not listen? Why will you not listen? How could you not listen?